1957, there was a, a book written by a man named Neville Shute called On the Beach. And I cannot say the name Neville Shute without thinking Dwight Schrute. Some of you are there with me, I know it. And this book, do we have the, the little cover page on? No? It was written in 1957, and it was set in Australia. And it's set in Australia not long after there was a catastrophic nuclear war in the Northern Hemisphere. And though Australia um, survived that initial battle completely unscathed, the cloud of radiation is coming. And it is coming south. And it will bring certain death. And in the novel, everyone confronts that reality in a different way. Because it's truly coming for everyone. Some might have uh, called this book, you know, post-apocalyptic literature. They might have called it science fiction. Those things might be true. But really, it's just a simple story with one question. What happens to people when death is imminent and unavoidable? What happens when death is imminent and unavoidable? And there are people in this very room who don't really think on those terms at all. We live, many of us, still in the full blossom of life where there's many years ahead of us and all sorts of opportunity to grow and all sorts of things that we still want to do and know that we can do. And yet our oldest saints want to tell us something else or in addition to that. There are some things that the youngest souls in this room, they they don't know or they can't viscerally understand. But some of us know death is imminent and death is unavoidable. For every single one of us in this room, barring the Lord's return, we will take a final breath. There will come a time when we just get one more. For some of us, it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. For some of us, it will come after a long and protracted illness. For some of us, it will come peacefully and we'll be surrounded by family and friends and we'll be singing Amazing Grace and it will be a glorious, final, beautiful moment. Some of us will die alone. Some of us will die under the cloud of great pain. But all of us, every single one of us, face it. It is unavoidable and imminent. And when we die, then what? Then what?
Well, this service and this sermon are intended to give us some refreshed understanding. So as we have been throughout this service, before we go any further, let's light a candle representing the illumination of the Word of God. Let's do that, and then I'll pray. Let's pray. Lord, just as this light came seemingly from nowhere today, would you allow your word to arrive in our hearts like lightning? No, Lord, like a bright and unending light. Lord, we are so desperate to hear from you, who is the light of the world. So as we come to your word today, Lord, we pray that you would shed light on every hidden corner of our hearts and minds and imaginations. Because of the light of your word today, Lord, would our imaginations be expanded? Would our faithfulness grow? Would our courage be surprising to a watching world? Would our hope be constant and secure? Lord, these things can be accomplished by your word through the power of the Spirit. Would you make it so today for us and for your people? And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, if you are uh, just joining us, first of all, I only wear a robe like this once a year. And secondly, you are right smack dab in the middle of a sermon series that we are doing on the Holy Spirit, simply called In the Holy Spirit. And if I were going to try to trace for you the way this sermon series has been organized, what I'd say is we we started by wanting to tell you something about the, the person and character of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How can we come to know the Holy Spirit? And what we said is the Holy Spirit is God in Trinity with Father and Son. And then we said the Spirit in Scripture is revealed as life-giving wind, Ruach. And after we talked a little bit about that, which we could talk about forever, then we move to what actually happens to the Spirit within us. What is the Spirit seeking to do within us? And and. What happens to us when we say yes to Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit? Next, we'll talk a little bit in the weeks to come about what does the Holy Spirit do through us as we seek um, to live this life out in the world? What happens to our ministry and our gifting in the Holy Spirit? And then if we were going to create a really clear, helpful outline, then we would have said, now what happens after then we die in the Holy Spirit. But this Sunday, being what it is, we decided to take it slightly out of order. So we're talking about saints today in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's worth noting as we begin that it's almost, nope, let me take that back. It is impossible to talk about God without talking about the Holy Spirit. 
can't be done. For two reasons. First of all, whenever we say God, we mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also, the Scripture testifies that whenever we talk about God, or in Christ, the Holy Spirit is there, present, doing the Spirit's work. Because of that, almost every Sunday, we are actually really truly talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't always use the words, but that's actually what's happening. We are talking about the Holy Spirit, and it is incredibly complex and vast and infinite. We could never quite cover it all. In fact, it's so complex, Thomas Oden, this uh, uh, expert in patristics and theology professor, a man whom I uh, now passed away, but I love his work. This is what he said. It is perplexing to organize systematically the themes of the work of the Spirit because they are so vast. But because he's a professor, he's like, but let me give you an order. So if we're going to try to touch systematically on the understanding of the Holy Spirit, Owen goes on to say we should include the administration of redemptive grace first. Then, call repentance, justification by grace through faith, regeneration, adoption, sanctification, and union with Christ. Just to name a few. We talk about the Holy Spirit every week. You get to live in the Holy Spirit every moment. Today we're going to talk, just briefly touch on some of those final themes of adoption, sanctification, and union with Christ. If this is our story, if we are Jesus' people living in the Spirit, when I get to the threshold of my final breath, what can I say about death? What do the scriptures teach me is true? What is going on in that moment? What is the Spirit's role? What, what happens to me? What has happened to my loved ones who have gone on before me? I'm just going to walk through very briefly today some scriptures that help us to understand the Spirit's role in this moment. And I want to talk about that using just simply these three, three words, that the Holy Spirit washes us, marks us, and adopts us. We are washed, marked, and adopted by the Holy Spirit. So I'll start just with a simple washing that we see in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He sort of seeks to tell a story from beginning of our life in Christ to the end, and here's how he starts. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because we're awesome, because we deserve it, because we're only kind of a, a, little, a little, you know, just below him, but not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, 
our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. It is the work of God to lavishly pour out the Spirit upon you. To wash you. To pour it out generously upon you. And that washing, that image of that washing, as if, is as if all of the grime, muck, the dirt that confuses our identity is washed away. It's as if you took your four-year-old camping for three days in a dust-infested field with no showers. And then the rains come. The water washes away. And what is revealed is a glorious creation. Friends, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. To renew us, to be poured out upon us, to give us the confidence of our inheritance. We might have the hope of eternal life. We have a, a new and refreshed identity. It's as if not only we've been sort of washed away in the sense that things have been washed away, but, you know, sometimes you wash things and, and give them a bath, and whatever that you've washed them in adheres to them. Like sometimes when you nickel plate something, for example. And we've been washed in the Spirit in such a way that we actually now represent differently to the entire world and to God himself in the Holy Spirit. We have been washed and renewed and given new life, and we are a new creation. We have a new status. We are heirs in Christ. In fact, we see that theme come up again here in this Ephesian passage where it reminds that we are marked by God. This is from Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So at some point, this is all going to, it says, result in a, an inheritance for the redemption of all who are God's possession. But until then, you have received the mark of the Holy Spirit. I have um, a, a book embosser. And I stamp my books when I get them with this little embosser. It just says, from the library of Eric Hansen, with a little E and an H on it, you know. Kind of folds in the paper a little bit. And whenever I get a new book, I um, emboss the title page. But I also emboss page 100, in case someone decides to rip out the title page. Now you know. And here's the thing that I want you to know about that embossing, even just of this paper page. 
There is no amount of reflattening, reworking the page, or squishing, or reflattening, or anything that will ever remove that stamp. It is always there. There is no amount of pain you can inflict on the page that will remove the mark of this simple embossing. And what is true of paper is so much more of your souls, friends. You have been marked by the Holy Spirit. You have been declared saved and one of His. You have been marked. You have been embossed. There is there's no amount of trial, tribulation, work, even doubt that can take the promise of the Holy Spirit away from you. It is yours by the work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But this word mark is also a thing that sometimes would travel with people in the ancient world. If they were traveling with a message, sometimes they would be given papers with a a mark or a seal or a stamp on them. And it, it ensured that they would get to their destination. Every place that they went, every town where they stopped, they would show these papers with this stamp that came from the king saying, let this person pass to their destination. Let no trouble come from them or to them. When you carry this mark, you are to remain unbothered all the way to your destination. It turns out traveling is still work. In the ancient world, it was still dusty, dirty, grimy, long, difficult. But the mark promises you would get there. We have been washed by the Holy Spirit. We have been marked by the Holy Spirit. We can be confident that we will receive the promise of entering the new city of God. Because of us? Nope. You were included in Christ. You didn't earn Christ. You have been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You now belong And the idea of belonging is especially radical here in Romans chapter 8. There's a number of places that talk about the fact that we are now made children of God. Especially uh, Galatians is another one of those books in the New Testament. But here it's short and succinct. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. You've been set free, pause, you've been set free from sin and its consequences. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by the spirit, by him, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The work of the spirit declares that you are part of the family. You are no longer isolated 
in your sins. You have been adopted. So you actually, he says, you've been adopted into sonship, which is an important distinction in the first century world in the way that maybe it isn't for us. Now, when, um, when we pass away, if we have children, unless there's a story there, generally speaking, we seek to, to generously share halvesies or thirdsies with all of our children, or quarterslies in our case. But in the ancient world, the one who received the inheritance was the son. And when he says that we have been declared sons, what he means to say is we, we have the same inheritance as the natural son. When we are adopted by God through the Spirit, we, we get the same inheritance as the natural son of God. That is a remarkable promise. What that means, friends, is that we can be confident that, um, well, we can be confident that we will die. We can also be confident that death will not conquer us. But that like our Jesus, we will be raised. And we will have life. We will have a new family and a new future from that moment on. So friends, the Spirit does this work for you and in you. He washes you. He marks you. He adopts you. Now, we could have called this sermon series or this sermon today inheritance. Maybe we still should. Because the promise is that we will receive exactly the same promise of life and resurrection. We are given new status. We can be unafraid of what's just on the other side of our final breath. That's the promise of All Saints Day. That's what we declare for those that we know who've passed on to glory and those in this room who will pass on to glory in the next 12 months. Someone will take their last, final breath within the next 12 months in this room. What I want to declare to that person is, you have been washed, marked, and adopted by God in the Holy Spirit. You need not be afraid. And when we do those things, and we receive our inheritance, really what we're doing is we simply, we're just following Jesus. It's really clear in the Gospels and in the New Testament that we are called to follow Jesus in life. And what we've been discovering today is actually, it's not only that we follow Jesus in our life, but we actually get to follow him in our death. He leads the way for us now and as we cross over to the other side. He is first and we follow. There's lots of places where this is indicated. I'm just going to point out two to you. First is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
For as in Adam, those opening pages of Genesis, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. But each one in turn, Christ, who's the first fruits, as co-heirs then, when he comes, next us, those who belong to him. Jesus is the new Adam who brings obedience in the way that the first Adam never could. That Adam led us into sin and death, but Jesus, as the new Adam, leads us through death and into resurrection. Adam was the first to die. Jesus will be first to rise, and we will go with him. Because we have been washed, marked, and adopted. This next passage uh, means a, a lot to me personally. When my father died, someone in our church, I don't recall who, um, might be here today, thank you, um, made this verse, uh, framed it, um, and it now hangs um, next to a bathroom sink. Maybe a weird place, but a good daily reminder. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope I pause there. It's, it's fine and right to grieve. If you have experienced a death in your family or a loved one or a friend, you've experienced a real and true loss. But don't grieve like the rest of those who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have already fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God as we read in Revelation this summer. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Friends, here at least we get one image of what happens when we take that final breath. We are embraced into the arms of Jesus where we sleep, where we rest, where we mend. This image meant so much to me, thinking about my father, who a couple months before his death had had a pretty major motorcycle accident. It's on his back for several months. 
and just within a month of his returning to his own home, died of a stroke. You have similar stories. And the promise of the word of God is that the Lord receives them, lets them rest in his arms. My father will awake as if from a really beautiful, fresh nap. He will be alive and he will be mended. He will receive a new body because of the work of the Holy Spirit who washed him, marked him, and adopted him. Friends, this is the hope of the gospel. This is why we take these occasional moments for us to celebrate things we don't actually very often talk about. But we all will take that one final breath at some time. And today is the right day for you to know what happens next. You are received by Christ. And when he rises and returns, you will rise with a new body. One of the characters of this novel, On the Beach, younger woman cries out, Surely there's got to be some hope. There's some science that can fix this. There's some hole I can get into that I can dig deep enough to, to make sure that I don't die. Friends, what I want you to know in the novel, she's, she's really just trying to manage, she's trying to put off what's going to happen. That's all. She doesn't have the right hope. What she's looking for is a couple more years and a couple more decades, and that's good. The Lord is the Lord of life. And what we have right now in the flesh is good. It's just not final. And the promise of the word of God simply is this, that the way of Jesus in the Spirit is real hope. First Timothy says that we have a sure and confident hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. First Peter says that we have an inheritance that never spoils or fades, <clears throat> pardon me, or fades or is removed. That's what we have because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Who washes, marks, and adopts us. Today we celebrate the saints who've gone on before us who rest in that inheritance even as we personally long for it. Let's pray together, shall we? And we'll continue to sing. Lord, we thank you for this reminder that the work of the Holy Spirit is so vast and so mysterious and so magnificent that we could never complete talking about it. We'll never be done. And yet today, on this day, as we think about both our own inheritance and the promise of the saints who've gone on before us, Lord, would you help us to cling to the promises of the Spirit, to live with joy because of his work, to live with great confidence because of what has already been accomplished on our behalf. 
Lord, today and every day, lead us into our inheritance. And all God's people said, amen.